Hello again. I'm so glad you're listening to the Longevity Now podcast. It is the place for all the news and views of life extension from around the world. For those unfamiliar with Longevity, one of the things the organization does is fund rejuvenation research through small grants around the world with various affiliate labs. One of those labs is ICOR Therapeutics. In addition to lab funding, Longevity also helps to fund young researchers working at those labs. In this episode, you will hear from one of those students who has now moved on to working for ICOR, focusing on a potentially revolutionary approach to diagnostics and therapeutic delivery. He originally found out about ICOR through this podcast. Before you hear from our guest, RJ Tavonian, I would like to thank the people who make all of this possible. That is all of the members of Longevity who make small annual donations. Your contributions of just $25 or $50 keep all of this going. And now I would like to welcome to the Longevity Now podcast, RJ Tavonium. How are you doing? Hey, doing good. Uh, it's good to be here. Great. Well, before we get into the nuts and bolts of your research that you've been doing, how about you give everyone a little bit of a background of what you studied and things like that? Hi, all listening. Um, you know, my name is RJ, uh, and right now I'm a, a graduate student, and this is my first semester here uh, in upstate New York at Clarkson University, and I'm working full-time uh, with i Therapeutics in kind of a, a research agreement with Clarkson University. So how did I get here? I uh, did an undergraduate at Texas A&M in biochemistry, and my uh, story about how I got into that uh, is kind of interesting for y'all, I would bet, because I started at uh, Texas A&M in engineering or nuclear engineering specifically. And then I, I really just wasn't enjoying any of my classes and wasn't really seeing myself with a future in that field um, besides maybe radiology, but there were no professors for that. So then uh, I started kind of just like looking at, you know, what I really enjoyed around me and, you know, what problems I had in my life that I needed to solve. And I had chronic migraines, so I was kind of looking around for solutions for that, right? Like looking at what supplements people took or, or other things. And the one platform I found online that actually had some significant kind of biochem information or just anecdotal evidence of what people have done or, you know, just literature surveys um, in the forum context was longevity, actually. So my freshman year of college, I got on longevity and started finding all these cool topics and was super interested in all of it. And then I switched my major to biochem, you know, right after the first semester, you know, because of because of longevity, essentially. And then I started getting more and more interested in uh, aging after I decided, you know, I wanted to solve this migraine problem that I had. Um, so then I pursued this degree in uh, biochemistry and I started listening to the Longevity Now podcast. And that's how I found uh, Kelsey Moody, who's the CEO of this company here uh, at i -Corp. And he talks, you know, on the podcast about the studies that they've done. For example, there was one uh, C60 and olive oil study that they did that found, you know, that the supplements that people were selling that was, you know, considered to be life extending were, all, were actually toxic, you know, once they were received. So I was like, wow, that's super interesting. They can do all these cool studies at this seemingly kind of like creative freedom-esque uh, environment. And I kind of wanted to be a part of that. And then at the end of the podcast, Kelsey talked about how they really needed uh, hires. And, you know, that's the one thing that you can take action on from that podcast. So I applied for the uh, internship and I got an interview up here. And then I spent this last summer doing an internship up here at i just doing cell biology, uh, mostly like in, in vitro pharmacology. So after that, then I went back to uh, Texas A&M for another semester. And during that uh, semester, I got a grant from Longevity for 
some specific research that I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. Oh, sure. Okay. And now you're at Clarkson. Uh, are you still enrolled in studies while you are working full-time for ICOR? Yep. Yep. So I'm taking three classes right now and they're on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I'll, you know, start an incubation or some experiment, then leave the lab and go to a class and run back and, you know, take something out of a centrifuge that was going for a while or something, you know. Well, that's great. Rather ambitious and uh, keeping busy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And now the study and the research that Longevity helped fund has to do with ICOR's RPTAG technology. And Kelsey has talked about that on the podcast a little bit in the past. But for people who haven't listened to those podcasts, can you give us uh, the basic science behind the RPTAG technology? Yeah, so I would call RPTAG a hyperstable, orally available protein binding scaffold. So that's a lot of you know jargon, but essentially what it means is that we can take a protein similar to an antibody, but smaller, right? And we can bind it to whatever we want, like in the end, hopefully, right? And then hit all these clinical targets that we never would have been able to before uh, in the stomach or in the intestines um, and by taking a pill rather than having an injection. By meeting, what do you mean by hitting your target? You have the RP tag. Uh, this is theoretical in the future. You have the RP tag that's, say, selective for a certain protein. And then if you take that pill, then it will search out that protein in your uh, intestines, your stomach. Yeah, so, so it can be intestines, it can be your stomach, but essentially a good example like recently of like an antibody therapy is just the monoclonal antibodies for, for the COVID vaccine, right? Theoretically, if you, you know, engineer another a protein like that can bind that, you know, and then maybe add some extra things so that your immune system can recognize it and sequester it, right? Then you could, you could bind, you know, a COVID spike protein or some, something similar and sequester those away. Or um, you even could bind the COVID spike protein without all these extra modifications and then make, you know, an assay to detect COVID that is available, um, that you don't have to refrigerate, that you could ship to some like country that doesn't have uh, enough energy to, you know, refrigerate this. So yeah. essentially it's like, it's a, you know, protein binder that can bind anything at very high or very like low temperatures. You're talking about using it as a therapeutic, but then also as a sensor technology. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. You can do both. Okay. And people are familiar with antibodies, generally speaking, and this, but the RPTAG technology now, is that going to be more broad spectrum uh, binding more than just proteins, more than just what an antibody would? So I would say it's just proteins is what okay. we're looking at right now, but it is more broad spectrum in that antibodies are very large. So they're about 150 kilodaltons in general for, for antibodies, yeah. but this is only 27 kilodaltons. So then whenever, whenever you're looking at certain filtration barriers in the body, such as like the renal filtration barrier, if you want to make a target in the capsular space, like in the kidneys, you know, you need something less than 60 kilodaltons, mm. right? There's like a lot of filtration barriers in the body that you can't hit with antibodies, but you will be able to with um with this technology, with the protein binding sample, but small. And also that affects the uh, time in your bloodstream, right? So maybe with antibodies, you would have to do one injection and then it's in your bloodstream for a while. But maybe with this, we would want it to be out of the like bloodstream very fast. It may not spend as much time in serum and maybe excreted much faster as well. Okay. Then I can see how this would be a very powerful technology for many different applications. Uh, I can see why it's generated a lot of buzz in the industry. And what 
have you specifically worked on to help bring this technology to the fore? I believe in your proposal for your study, it was to resolve binding energies uh, of the RP tag, the various RP tag configurations. Is that correct? So that's a little off, but it's pretty close. So the that is something that I that we still need to do and would require um, more, and I'll explain that in a second. But so what the what the grant aided me in doing was doing data science efforts. So what what happened before I was at iCore was like a very large high throughput screen of binding epitopes. So just little uh, regions on different proteins of interest that we want to bind for a clinical target, and then RP tag. And then a bunch of mutations where we think that we would bind on RP tag, right? So we have all of this binding data where, you know, this epitope binds this mutated form of RP tag, right? And it's how do you actually interpret that data? How do I take all this data, all this binding, binding data, and then say, these are the critical residues uh, for binding. These are the properties of these residues that, you know, will, will make this bind better in the future, et cetera, right? So the uh, the grant really aided me in my last semester of undergraduate before I came up here as a grad student to spend a lot of time on doing those data science efforts. So things that I did was create analyses of like the most critical residues for every single uh, epitope that we've done, which was which was uh, I think it was about thirty different uh, epitopes, and then we had a uh, hundred different uh, mutations on the RP tag for each. So we have these heat maps on RP tag of the most critical residues and then which amino acids specifically are the most critical to improve binding, right? Okay. So you're trying to find the best match. Let's say you have a lock and a key, right? Yeah, essentially with, with the mutations that we put on RP tag as well. So then say we find uh, multiple mutations that work very well, like one, you know, mutation at the hundredth position and another one at 120 on the, on our binding scaffold. And both of these work very well to improve binding. So then we combine both of those and we see, okay, do both of them together cooperate and improve it even more? And then whenever we did that, then we found that it doesn't do it in a linear fashion. It actually, it seems like almost exponential, but mm. I can take two, um, two mutations that improve binding by like maybe like 20% and then suddenly I combine them and it improves binding by a factor of 10. Wow. With RBTag, you want to have the most specific binding you can possibly get so that there's no crossover between other types of targets, correct? Yeah, yeah. Specific and selective, both things, yeah. Okay, well, that's uh, great that, I mean, you're are analyzing it already. Now, what's coming in the future that you are going to be working with ICOR here? How is the future evolving using the RP tag mm -hmm. technology? Yeah, so things that I want to do right now. So after I've kind of analyzed this, um, and then I've also, uh, during the uh, six months, I've uh, generated a predictive model uh, using some basic machine learning techniques. So I took all of the data and put it into you know, a tabular form and then uh, run it through you know, some basic machine learning models, essentially. I want to combine the predictive nature of that, or compare rather, the predictive nature of that with the predictive nature of the thing that you're talking about a second ago, calculating binding energies from presumed confirmations. When you, whenever you have like a in in a computer and you're trying to bind and or I guess dock technically it's called docking to a uh, protein, you have to go through all of these different confirmations almost like brute force and minimize the uh, energy to make it you know a very low energy confirmation on the surface uh, of the protein, right? And then whenever you have long peptides, this takes you know it increases the degrees of freedom by a lot, right? Because at every single bond you have to rotate it. 
So that means we need supercomputers for this task. And good thing, or not necessarily supercomputers, but very strong computers. But the good thing is that Clarkson has a supercomputer here. And um, also, uh, we're, we're thinking of collaborating with some other universities on this. But anyway, whenever we get this docking simulation, I can compare these traditional methods of you know, docking to the current machine learning paradigm and see which one is better for predicting uh, our proteins. And then we can move forward with using that specific predictive method to screen even more um, epitopes and then filter them out and save you know, costs to screen more and then determine, okay, which, which is the best binding epitope to RPTAG and then what exactly do we need to do to make it bind to a clinical level? So it sounds like this is going to save a lot of time, money, and effort um, using the simulation. Uh, because I can imagine in 10 years ago, 20 years ago, just sitting in a lab and trying different combinations and seeing how well uh, they dock, right? And mm -hmm. doesn't work so well, it, it does or it doesn't work so well. And I can see it taking forever. And this mm -hmm. seems like it will be a process that will help speed that up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I ran into this problem in um, back when I worked at a lab at uh, A&M when I was doing small molecule high throughput screening against tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. And uh, you look at the chemical space, the amount of molecules that you can potentially make, you know, in the small molecule space. So so for, you know, just very small druggable targets, right, or druggable uh, molecules that number is like 10 to the 60. That's like more than the number of stars in the universe squared, right? So how are you ever going to go through that without using some analytical techniques on a computer, right? And then when you get to proteins and the you know modifications you can do uh, with every residue, it, it gets- the Orders of magnitudes out. even more, yeah. right? Yeah. Hmm. So, you know, we definitely need to use, like spend a lot of time, you know, caring about how our data set is compatible with computers and how we're going to use these analytical techniques to- uh, reduce costs and actually, you know, achieve our goal in the end. I, I don't know if you're able to uh, speak on this, maybe some sort of uh, industry or proprietary knowledge, but do you have a, a sense for how long it will be before RPTAG technology could be commercialized or is it already being used for a few specific targets that you've already found and now you're just uh, working on expanding that? So um, I can't say specifics, but we do have pretty good affinity for a few targets, but uh, pretty good doesn't get it to market. We're, so we're, right now we're doing more screening. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure all the specifics that I can say. Sure. Okay. That's but, good though. I mean, it's just good to know. I think the audience, uh, they've heard about it and Kelsey's talked about it and now you're working on it. It's very good for them. I think for people to hear and know that you have some pretty specific uh, affinity right now for a couple of targets. Because uh, yeah. I know uh, Icor has been working on it for a couple of years now. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so that's that's basic all that we need to know. Don't need to know exactly what uh, uh, the particular application is, you know, trade secrets. That's fine. And, and uh, I think we have a clear path forward. And I think that it's presumable that it could be, you know, going to some trials uh, within my time as a grad student. So. Oh, that's great to hear. So uh, that's good to know that uh, you'll be continuing to work on that and that you have the uh, supercomputing resources available. Uh, that's uh, going to speed things up for sure. Now, you talked about how you got involved in the rejuvenation biotech. 
uh, what advice might you give some other people who are out there? They might be listening to this podcast right now. Uh, what, what are the challenges getting involved in the field? And what would you suggest uh, for people just starting out? Maybe, uh, say, step back uh, a couple of years younger than yourself, you know, people maybe in undergrad studies or something like that. What would what's your advice? Yeah, so I think I think that I got lucky uh, in my undergrad where um, there was a paper floating around from MIT, and I believe it was I, I don't remember the name of the paper exactly, but they discovered this uh, antibiotic for tuberculosis called Hallison via uh, deep learning. Right. So what made me stand out to ICOR was that uh, I had some machine learning experience where I found this paper in undergrad and I was able to read it and then try and use the program and, and just like be introduced to machine learning in that way. So what really, you know, make me stand out among like the 70 something applicants for uh, internships. And I was like the one, the one who got it this summer um, was that I had two skills, right? I didn't just have biochemistry, I had biochemistry and programming, right? So if, if you really want to be where you, you know, want to go, I feel like getting, you know, an, an education, at an undergraduate place is, is good and required, but getting like one extra skill will really set you above pretty much everybody else, whether it's, you know, programming or statistics or, or maybe some cross-disciplinary um, things like physics for biophysics or something. Yeah. And I would say just for anyone listening out there too, is that you can learn on your own a lot nowadays, especially when it comes to software, deep learning, things like that. There are a ton of resources out there to get started. And there are a lot of free online resources, even uh, you know some free supercomputer uh, stuff you can apply to use uh, some resources. So don't let that hold you back. If you're studying something in your undergrad career right now, uh, you can on the side, pick up a different skill like RJ is saying here. That is great advice. And not just rejuvenation technology, but also a lot of other fields require data science analysis nowadays, big mm -hmm. data sets. I mean, that's pretty common nowadays. So that's something you should think about learning like uh, RJ. I'm speaking to the listeners right now. <laughs> Be like RJ and uh, you know, think about that. Uh, try to pick up uh, some of those extra skills. And any last words for the listeners out there, RJ? Yeah, so uh, I'd like to talk about i for a second because they're giving me a really unique opportunity here. So I'm a grad student and I'm taking graduate classes, but I'm not doing exactly what a grad student usually would do, where they're in a lab and they're learning a couple techniques for, you know, four or five years and then just getting out with, with that expertise. Before I came here, they, they told me that they wanted to make me the best research scientist that they could. But after I got here, they refined their vision a little bit and told me that they wanted to make me the best translational drug developer that they could. So what they're doing is they're putting me through all of the parts of the company starting with protein production. Um, and I did cell biology this summer, so, or in vitro pharmacology this summer, but starting with protein production, going to purification, into uh, biophysics, crystallography. And then eventually, I think my last year, I'll be doing surgeries on animals in the vivarium for animal trials. So this is a really unique experience that you won't get anywhere else, getting the full inner workings and five years of uh, pharmaceutical experience by the time that you get your PhD. Uh, I think it's a really unique program, and and if you're if that sounds good to you, um, obviously it's going to be a lot of hard work because you have to d demonstrate a lot of expertise in each uh, realm. But if that sounds good to you, then you should definitely reach out and try to uh, apply for either an internship here or some other preliminary position as we get to know you to see if you'd be a good fit for this program. 
but we're definitely looking for more grad students, I think. So wonderful. Yeah, that's a great plug for ICOR, I would say. And I would just pick out one thing that you said there as far as being a translational drug discoverer. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that encapsulates the vision of ICOR in contrast to a lot of other companies that are just creating unique platform technologies or searching small molecules with not much vision for translation into human research. I mean, I've been promoting life extension and rejuvenation research for a long time now, a couple of decades, and I haven't seen too much translational medicine evolve um, because we don't have enough companies out there who are focused on that goal, get it into human trials and get something that works. Uh, so that is wonderful. I'm glad you mentioned that for i And like I mentioned earlier, you know, we sponsored uh, you with a small grant uh, to help you through uh, some of this uh, research. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to, again, uh, sponsor more students going forward or more graduate uh, researchers at i or some of our other affiliate labs. Well, RJ, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Longevity Now podcast. Thanks. It was good to be here. We heard about RP Tag Technology from the CEO of Icor Therapeutics, Kelsey Moody, previously on the podcast. It is great to see things moving forward in a big way on this front. After a couple of decades of little progress in biological rejuvenation, it seems things are picking up. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.